You know, it's kind of funny. You have, you have a deal like that. And you kind of go, you know, first off, and I'm supposed to preach after that, you know? And then you go, and you can't preach after that? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a flip deal. It really is. Thank you, Tyler, for blessing our hearts. Amen for that one. Wow. All right. Let me get all my papers straight. I figured we probably ought to continue from this morning. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9, that's where we'll be spending our time tonight. And again, I've been trying to kind of go over and re-cement cement some things we talked about each on Sunday morning uh, to Sunday night and even to Wednesday night sometimes. And I kind of want to do that again. Um, you know, we had something happen, by the way, after church. Donnie, I assume it's okay if I share this. And uh, Donnie caught me going out the door this morning and he had with him Jim. And this is uh, Dakota's granddad. And it's really a great story because it's what's supposed to happen. And it goes something, the story goes something like this. Um, Dakota, and I'm not sure why, Donnie, Dakota started wanting to come to Dorsville. I'm not sure how that happened. Um, but, but Jim would bring Dakota. And he, he told me and he told several people, now I'm not into God. I'm just here, you know, to do the Dakota one to come. And so, you know, I'm just bringing him. That's all. I said, okay, that's great. That's cool. Come on. And so he would sit out in the foyer and watch the TV screen and, um, you know, watch the sermon stuff. Didn't come into worship. And then somewhere along the road, he kind of moved into the back row of the sanctuary. In fact, he used to sit, you know, that bench by the back door? That was his seat right there. He would sit right back there. And slowly, he moved even into one of the cushioned seats there. And then, lo and behold, one day, Jim wasn't in the foyer. I said, where's Jim? And Jim was in Sunday school class, you know? And isn't that incredible? I mean, he ended up in Sunday school class. And, and so he just kept coming so faithfully and so faithfully. And then, as I was leaving this morning, Donnie grabs me. And Jim grabbed him, well, not grab him, just spoke to him and said, hey, how you doing? And, and, and Jim said something like, he said this in Deacon's Man, he said, so what does a guy need to get saved around here? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good day at Dorisville. <laughs> Good day. And uh, to see the progression of, hey, I don't do the God thing, to guys saying, I want to ask Jesus into my life is just incredible. It's just incredible. It's wonderful. And that's what's supposed to happen um, and we pray happens in the lives of people. So it's very, very exciting to see what we talked about this morning fleshed out and lived out. And I think, by the way, let me tell you why I think that happened. This is really important. In fact, it kind of goes along with that first point this morning where, you know, where Jesus said, you know, if you really want to be great, you've got to be the, you know, serve the least. You've got to be the least. And he brought that child in, in there and said, you know, here's this child. And, and if you receive the child who has no rights, who's marginalized, if you, if you receive the child, you receive me. And if you receive me, you receive my father. And then he went on and said, you know, if you want to be great, you've got to be least. You've got to be willing to serve. And I think probably one reason why Jim got saved today was because he saw how we embraced Jim, him, and his grandson, Dakota. I think he saw... You know, we, I remember when Dakota wanted to sing in the choir, we kind of talked and said, well, is that cool? Yeah, that's cool. And the fact that we embraced him in the choir, and one of my favorite worshipers is Dakota, and, and just embraced him in, in his worship here at our church. And I think when, when, when Jim saw the authenticity of a church body that would embrace Dakota, a very, very, very special young man, then I think that led, led Jim to Jesus. Amen. It really, we saw fleshed out what, what we talked about this morning. 
that when we will receive the least of these, we receive, you know, Christ. When we see Christ, we, we find the way to him. So that was just an incredible, incredible thing. And it all started with, though, even with Jim this morning, it started with, and I don't want you to miss this. I think this is very important. You know, just like when Matthew was called by Jesus, just come follow me. And he got up and left his table and followed Jesus, really without a lot more information than that. Just come follow me. And, and that symbolized, certainly symbolized and was true. He turned from his sinful life and follow Jesus. And we talked about this morning about repentance, how important that is. It really all begins with that. It begins with an acknowledgement that we turn from our sin and choose to follow Jesus. And then that begins that journey of discipleship. And I really honestly think that's probably where over the last generation or two we failed in discipling people and teaching discipleship. And we've led to some kind of a a hodgepodge of religion that's led into that I'm a consumer, that, that God exists, Yes, God exists. He's my God. He's my Father. But He exists for me, not me for Him. And we became consumers of Christianity. In other words, God, you perform and do what I want you to do. We see that in prayer. We see it in all kinds of ways in our lives. And I'll serve God as long as it's beneficial. And when it becomes unbeneficial, then we walk away. And that's where I think that came from. We didn't disciple right. And again, I want to challenge you one more time to spend time with Matthew. Spend time with, with, with Mark and Luke and John. And just look at the teachings of Jesus Christ. And what you're going to see is, you know, Paul and the other writers gave us a lot of the practicality of Christianity. And that's where we like to camp. We love to preach Ephesians and Colossians and all those. But if you really want to see the heart of Jesus, listen to Jesus. You know what you're going to see? Love God, love people. Now, that, that, Paul's important and Peter's important. And, you know, those are really important. But what you're going to see is you're going to see love God, love people. That was the heart of Jesus Christ. That was just, just what it was all about. So we start with repentance and choosing to follow him. And then we begin this that discipleship path. And that discipleship path doesn't look like a lot of what people think it does today in America and North America. It, it involves, if you want to be great, if you, if you want to have grand dreams, those grand dreams include washing the feet of Jesus or the feet of people. Um, the, the greatness, the greatness we seek is not found in, in titles and prestige and power and money. It's found in serving others, Amen. serving others. And then we talked about, you know, when, when selflessness, kingdom first mentality, when John said, well, you know, we saw this guy casting out demons, but he didn't follow after us. So we tried to make him quit. He wouldn't quit. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. If he's not against us, he's for us. He's for us. And when we learned that, that even those people may be a little bit different, if they are one one, kingdom work, and two, in the name of Jesus. And I know that's a, that's a broad thing, but the core gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether, whether the first letter in their name starts with a P or an I or, or an M or whatever it might be, if their, core are, if their core is gospel, Jesus Christ, then Jesus says they're for us and not against us. And I said, what would the world be like if, if we all for once got on the same page and understood that this world is lost and dying and going to hell? That, that they're lost in, in Salt Lake City and they're lost in Chicago and they're lost in St. Louis and they're lost in Memphis and they're lost in, in Alabama and they are lost in Harrisburg. And imagine the, the power of a force of believers who turn from their sins, who, who acknowledge that they wanted Jesus and experienced God's grace, and that they were on this discipleship journey, that the only thing that mattered was not our kingdom, but His kingdom, kingdom first, that we were selfless, that we got over our jealousies and we got over those kind of things. What would the world look like? And let me tell you what it looked like. It looked a whole different, lot different. It really would. 
It would change. Some of y'all are so upset about the politics in America. If you want to see the politics change in America, then get some politicians saved. Get, get some politicians saved. And, and that, you're going to see the difference there. You're, you're going to see the difference there. So, so we had that selflessness. And then we had the judgment thing. You know, we're talking about, you know, when Jesus was going toward a village, he set his mind to go to Jerusalem. And between, between where he was and the time he was taken up, going back to heaven, there was a garden and there was a cross and there was scourging and there was Pilate's Hall and there was all of that. And yet he set his mind to go to Jerusalem. And when, when the Samaritans heard that he was going to Jerusalem, they wanted nothing to do with him. It was just, that was the hotbed of all their, all their angst with the Jewish people. All the scars that they bore as being called half-breeds was in Jerusalem. And when they heard Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they wanted nothing to do, and they would not extend the hospitality that was cultural at that time. And boy, James and John got all fired up and wanted to kill them. Let's call down some fire from heaven and kill these Samaritans. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You don't know what manner of man you are. You, you don't know the spirit that's in you. You don't understand what's transpired in your life. I've not come to destroy men. I've come to save men. Can I tell you something that happened today? We were talking at the dinner table. <laughs> Terry bought lunch again. <laughs> so we were talking, and, and again, I'm a, I'm a southern guy. And, um, of course, I was watching the news, and you've watched the news. And this is the 50th anniversary of the Selma March. And... And I told those at the table, Rebecca and Jonathan and Terry and Linda, I said, you know, I see those pictures, and I just wonder how in the world could we have done that? How could we as a nation in America, and again, I was, I was 15 years old. I was definitely old enough to remember, although I, I, I don't seem to have been exposed much to it, even though I was from the South. But how could we have lived in a country where a, a policeman could take his baton and beat a man because he's black? How, how did we ever get there? How, how, how did we ever survive that? You know, and, and, and here's the crazy part. Rebecca speaks up and says, Dad, the real crazy part is all those people that were doing that and advocating that, beating people, were Christians. I love the line in, in, um, in the movie, that Remember the Titans, when they had a black coach during the 60s, a black coach came in, took the job of a white coach, and the black coach, of course, was hated, and the assistant coach was calling this, this black coach all kind of evil names and stuff, and, and so finally he says, you know, you have to take a hike, and so the assistant coach walks out, and, and uh, the head coach says to the other guy, the other white coach, said, you know, I guess we won't see him again. He goes, yes, I will. He serves on the deacon board with me. That's a great line. It just really is a great line, but it's amazing how that so many of those people that, that were advocating that, that abuse were in First Baptist Church of Selma, Alabama on that morning. In the name of Jesus, they did these things. And, of course, it's the Crusades and all of that is like that. And, again, that's so anti-Christ. And we've got to be so careful today that we don't throw rocks, Amen. that we don't cast stones, because you will never win a man to Jesus by stoning him, but you'll win him by loving him. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, to save them. So that's kind of a background of what we looked at. And there were three small things. And I, I told somebody, that I said, well, I think I told the diggers, I said, if, if we don't have a short sermon tonight, it's not my fault. Um, but, but we're going to look at three of those three things that were on the sermon sheet this morning. 
uh, that continue right along in Luke chapter 9. And it starts in verse number 57. And here's what happens. The Bible says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road. And keep in mind that the whole, this whole thing was our feet. What would happen if we surrendered our pathways? What would happen if we surrendered our feet to Christ? A total surrender. So as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, now you've got to really get the context of what he's talking about. Because in this context, you've got to understand that following Jesus was an amazing thing. I mean, when you followed Jesus in those days, at this point, there wasn't a lot of controversy. There were spurts of it around. But, I mean, you might see somebody who was crippled healed. You may see blind eyes open. You might see a leper healed. You might even see a dead guy get up and walk. It was just an amazing thing to be around Jesus. And so it would make sense then, it would be very common for a person to say, Hey, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, you wonder, because Jesus says, and Jesus said to him, Well, you need to know something. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he says to this man who, you see, Jesus, this is interesting. Jesus didn't just grab anybody and say, follow me. You know, he, he, he could understand the cost. And so this man said, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. He, he was like he's saying, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand that, that when I lay my head down tonight, there will not be a pillow, there will be a stone? Do you understand when you say you will follow me that it will not be a life of leisure? Like we said, John Piper, I think, is the one who said that we all want you know, an easy life with an easy death in heaven. You get the heaven deal, but, but God nowhere promises an easy life and nowhere does he promise an easy death. Jesus said, do you understand that that road might not be what you think it is? Do you understand my road as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords, will lead through a garden? Do you understand it will lead to Pilate's Hall? Do you understand it involves lashes with, with an iron tip whip? Do you understand it leads to a Roman cross? Do you understand it leads to a funeral? Do you understand all that? And, and, and it's like Jesus is saying, I want you just to understand that when you're, if you're going to follow me, that I have no place to lay my head. And any pretext that you had... That I'm always going to, and I hope you don't, you don't get offended by this, but any idea that you think I'm going to be the, the star of the show, that I'm going to be a rock star all the time, things are fixing to go south. Fix, things are fixing to go south. And those who follow me will be hated. Do you understand all that? And I ask you that question tonight. Do you understand that hasn't changed? That this was, something, this was not something that Jesus said uh, 2,000 years ago. He speaks to our hearts today and says, do you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ? Do you understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? That it will not be an easy life and an easy death, most likely. But there one day will be a heaven where the King of kings and Lord of lords will be. You know, Jesus said these words. He said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. Jesus says, 
you know, if you're only by yourself, you've got to take up this cross. That, that, that means identity with Christ. You've got to take up the identity. You've got to take up the cross of suffering and suffer with me. And you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost. You can be willing to, to weigh the cost of what that means. Because let me tell you something. Look me in the eye. Serving Jesus will cost you. Ser- now, now, notice what I said. Serving Jesus will cost you. It may cost you career-wise. It may cost you in societal uh, circles. It may cost you prestige where you are. It may cost you promotions in your building, in your business. But I'm telling you, it will cost you something to truly serve him. So Jesus says, you need to understand that, that, that it will not be an easy walk. And I want to tell you tonight, as we ch- particularly in these days we're living in, it will not be an easy walk to follow Christ. So then he says this, verse 59. Then he said to another, now notice this time Jesus speaks to a person. And he says, follow me. Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, now, now get the picture here. Here's a person that, that, that Jesus looks at and sees in him that potential of, of that commitment and says, follow me. And the man says, and notice the key words there. I want you to circle in your Bible if you're one that likes to write in your Bible. Circle the, world, the words, let me first. Because you're going to see those same words in verse 61 through 62. Let me first. The man was saying... I, I, I will follow you, but let me first do this. I, I wrote down the word dreams again. Dreams. Because here's the deal. Every indication is, is that this man's dad was not dead. It wasn't like he left the funeral home and came and followed, you know, walked up to Jesus and Jesus said, come follow me. Apparently what is happening here is his father was obviously older in years, but not in any intimate danger of death. And so when he says, go back, let me go back and bury my dad, he was saying, look, when my father dies, at that sometime in the future, when my father dies, I'll follow you. So give me some time. Give me time. He was saying, somewhere in the future, I will follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead, let the, even more clear from the Greek, let the dying bury the dying. You go and preach the kingdom of God. He wasn't being harsh. He was simply saying this, that the highest priority, the highest priority, the highest priority in a Christ follower's life is Christ. Is Christ. And so many of us have somewhere in our book said, one day, someday, I will follow. One day, someday, I will serve. One day, someday, when there's more time, when there's more freedom, when there's more, there's more. And we have delayed our service of Christ for that someday, one day. And Jesus say, no. I must be first. There's not another first. And again, I, I want to make sure you understand this. Because to me, it's huge. I told you this year, it just seems like God is really bringing, at least me, as your pastor in the direction of the church, love God, love people. Just like we have for 14 years, but even a greater calling than that. Because again, if you look at, at, the, at Christ, that's exactly what he did. He's not calling him, once again, I know you get tired of hearing this. He's not saying that. Now you go and you look at Pauline writings and you follow, boy, you really work on getting those, those rules down. He's not saying that. He's saying, 
me first. And, and what's first with me is love God and love people. Love God and love people. Be willing to sacrifice everything. You know, God's not calling us all to be missionaries, foreign missionaries. But God's calling us all to be missionaries. Every one of us. Every one of us is called to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. There was a, a lady named Karen Watson. And she was killed in Iraq in 2009. And the mission board that she went out with um, required that they write a letter to be read in the event they died. And in 2009, when Karen was killed, then this letter was given to her pastor. And this is the letter that Karen Watson wrote. Dear Pastor, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. Isn't that powerful? And see, that's what you need to understand. Her place was Iraq, but your place right now is right here. And you're not called to a place, though. You're called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His reward, my glory. His glory, my reward. And then she writes, The missionary heart cares more than some think is wise. Risks more than some think is safe. Dreams more than some think is practical. Expects more than some think is possible. I was not called to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you and my church family. In his care, Salam, Karen. That's powerful, folks. That's powerful. And the most powerful part is, is that each one of us should have a letter like that. And not that we're serving in Iraq or in Africa or the Philippines or, or Haiti or Nicaragua. But that we could say when our death comes, there's a letter somewhere that says, surrender. 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 Can I ask you one more time a question? How different would our world be if this was our heart? How different would our church be if this was our heart? Do you think there'd be fussing and scrabbling over thermostats and toilet paper and loudness of music or hotness or heat? Do you think? No. Probably wouldn't be. What's wrong with the church today in America is that we don't have a letter like this. That's what's wrong with America. So Jesus said, look, let the dying bury their dying. You come and follow me. Christ first. Christ first. Whether it's in a foreign country or here in North America or at home. Christ first. And so finally we come to 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. 
Man, that seems like a, so fair. I really wrestled with that. I said, okay, God, that sounds like totally fair to me. All he wants to do is go back and say goodbye to family. But you know what I think Jesus understood? Jesus understood the power of reluctance and sidetrack. He knows how good the devil is at getting us sidetracked. That's why, you know, I always make a joke about what Jesus said to Judas. When, he, when they're at the, uh, the Last Supper, when they're in you know, the upper room, and Jesus looks at Judas and says, whatever you do, do quickly. And whatever we are going to do for Christ, we've got to do first, and we've got to do quickly. Amen? We've got to do first, and we've got to do it quickly. Because Jesus said, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is for, fit for the kingdom of God. Total commitment. Total commitment. Imagine again, leaving the plow analogy, but once again, that discipleship path focused on the teacher. Focused on the teacher. Listening to the teacher. Learning from the teacher. Total commitment. Total focus. No one putting his hand to the plow is fit for the kingdom of God. You know why that's dangerous? You plow crooked lines. When you look back, it's handing the plow and looking back, you may plow yourself right off the field. And sometimes we wake up and find ourselves to be, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old and wonder where life went and what happened to the dream of doing what God called us to do. I, I know several people, uh, two gentlemen come to my mind who are called to preach, and both of them never fulfilled that call, and both of them now are filled with regret. Not understanding that, guess what? There's still time. There's still time. It was January 8, 1956. And Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries trying to reach the Ecuadorian peoples. And they were on a beach, and they were attacked by the Ecuadorian Indians. And they were all killed. And uh, Matt and Bethy named one of their children after Jim Elliott, named him Elliott. And Jim Elliott, quoting an old-time preacher probably, but said these words. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So as we finish the day, as we talk about surrendering our past and surrendering our feet, close with that thought in your mind. That he is no fool who will keep his eyes on the Savior and walk the path that he gives and that he directs. He is no fool as he gains what he cannot lose and gives up what he cannot keep. You know, my favorite, and I really mean this, one of my favorite verses has become, no, probably one of the favorite verses in the Old Testament has been Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of a good man the paths of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, God, delights in his way. And if he fall, he will not be utterly cast down because God upholds him with his strong arm. As you journey, as you disciple with Christ, as you're walking these paths, may, may March the 8th, 2015, be a turning point in our lives individually as we say, Christ, I want to follow you. 
And I know if I stumble and fall, that you will pick me up. Would you pray with me, please? Father, how can these not be mere words tonight? How can this not be just another message? The only thing I know is, is that we need desperately the Holy Spirit to seal this in our hearts. Father, if we're going to see this ship turned around in North America, if we're going to see individuals and churches refocused, with the heart of God. If we're going to see our nation turn back to God, it is going to take the power of the Holy Spirit lived out through us. It is going to take a change of dreams, a change of ideals, giving up self for the kingdom. It's going to take a pushing back of judgment and embracing in the love of Christ. And every one of those things is bigger than us, but it's not bigger than you. And Father, not trying to soften the message, I am grateful to be a part of a church that's on this journey. Father, you have taken us on this journey now for over a decade of loving you and loving people. But God, we've got so far to go. And if we are, if we are going to be used by you, then Father, we got us some walls come down as far as reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ and uniting ourselves with them. If we're going to be used by you, then we've got to honestly believe that we must love God and love people. And that puts us in a real uncomfortable place sometimes. If we're going to be by you to be evangelists, we've got to drop the rocks and reach out in our arms with the love of Christ. And God, all I know to do to pray tonight is God help us because it is not in us of our own power, our own nature. So help us to love you and them in the name of Christ. Let us be disciples of Christ. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.